Presented by the 910 Comedy Podcast Network. Welcome back to Dead Girls Talking, your podcast home for all things strange and unusual. I'm Minda. And I'm Jenna. Let's get weird. So this episode is slightly different from stuff that we do. It's a little bit more serious. And I just want to warn more sensitive listeners. We talk about drugs. We talk about death. We talk about everything that kind of goes in there in this situation. So that's my sensitive listener warning for this episode. Okay, this is part two of our podcast with Chad Nance and his partner, Carissa Joins. Let's pick it up where you left off. When you become addicted to something, an addiction specialist will tell you, when does an addiction become a bad thing? My son and I were talking about that today in the terms of social networking. Okay. When he said, I was looking at TikTok and I, I should be doing something else. And I'm starting to feel a little guilty because I could be doing this other thing instead of doing that. Well, once you start feeling guilty, too, that's another mental piece of trauma that comes in from an actual addiction. Now your addiction is bad because it's hurting you in another way. It's making you guilty because guilt is another thing that can eat at you, just like rage or anger. And it can cause just as many problems as these other things. So now that's compounded on top of what the addict has to live with. And that doesn't even go into the societal realities or the realities when you are in an area like Mount Airy, North Carolina, where there's the predominance of fundamentalist religion. And if you're a woman scorned, you're a woman scorned. I was and just about to say, you can never shake it off your name. Yes, you ma'am. Know, you'll always be that girl who, even if you throw up at a party, you know, like, let's say something as innocuous as that. Like, oh, in high school, you got messed up at a party. You're never going to lose that. And God forbid you become the junkie. Like, right pick a name like Janie the junkie, even if you're clean and sober for 15 years, it's still on there, you know, because mm -hmm. it is a small town. And they don't okay. know how to eulogize these people. Um, those no. are some of the strangest memorials. It's very weird. No one knows what to say. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Cause you, everyone knows, like you try to talk about the good things or whatever it was, but everyone's like, yeah, but you know, this happened and you know, right. we're, but we're know, here we, today. Cause right, she we're was here a today and even, yeah. even yeah. sadder because we as human beings and to, to, to function with grief need the rituals, you know, that we've exactly. created. Oh yes. Yeah. We, well, okay. you know, that as it certainly mm -hmm. as a mortician, you understand how important those rituals are, no matter what a person's belief system and their families up there who don't do anything. They get the ashes and they bring them home and they put them in a box and they never talk about it again. It's becoming no, numbing. It sounds there's like no memorial service though. There's no funeral. There's, there's no, no money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's and, no you money. You like, have to, what are you going to say too? You know, it's like, you're going to get everybody together and be like, Hey, just want y'all all to know, like, look, you know, look at me. I'm hurting because of this thing that happened and yeah. it doesn't feel good. So, you know, you don't want to draw any more attention to it. And some yeah. of that I think is just the Appalachian way anyway it's sort of uh i think that that's been lethal because it's it's played into just a just a don't ask don't tell society anyhow well since scott's irish we you know we we don't talk about it when we hurt you know yeah yeah and there's you know a lot of it is there still is you know we, we come across this all the time it's funny chad's kind of becoming an expert on like you know what's really Satanism and what's not um, from this, but like there is this very much like, I need to know this for personal reasons. 
Well, no, I've, so, I've, I've done a couple other documentaries now where I appear and stuff and talk about satanic panic and, you know, the ridiculous. We love that topic, honestly. It comes up in a lot of our. Yeah, we exactly. But, even, but see, that's even been up there. It's still a factor in this. And you'll see that in the show. You see it in the sizzle reel where the one guy who the, the ex meth dealer looks straight at you and he talks about them doing. They tied my sister up in a tree and her body in a tree and did incantations. Mm -hmm. And they do these things. Part of that is a possibly uh, P2P methamphetamine has uh, side effects that can actually cause psychosis and cause people to do paranoid delusions and things like a thinking that they're talking to the dark Lord. And the With other the thing shadow is people, I'm sure you heard a lot about yeah. the shadow people. Oh yeah. And it's, but it's also a way to add import to your basic dirty rotten crime and that, Oh, this has some sort of thing because this is about the battle between good and evil. And we've chosen evil and, you know, and these kind of things have been out throughout crimes and it's all, it's used as an intimidation tool. Yeah. You know, up there because of the foundation that people have in fundamentalist religion. When you enter something like this into the mix and, and, and pseudo occult practices really scares the shit out of people. The same thing happened in the Algorod case. But people don't really do evil for evil's sake. And that's kind of confusing. I no, think you say that because you have a cat and you don't want to believe that cats are evil either. <laughs> She's a little evil, but okay, it's, maybe yeah, cats. cats and children are yeah. all evil. But evil. People, no, because we don't do evil for evil's sake. We're we're just we're just violent monkeys, right? right. Who for, through some fluke of the universe gained what we call sentience, right? So yes. yeah, I mean, it's all an accident, yeah. right? And so yeah, so we're just we are just violent animals. We act out violently, and any import we add to it is literally our sense of self and our sense of sentience trying to add and make it more important and elevate it beyond just the dirty reality of what it is. Just the it, following it, the money is not satisfying in yeah, the way. Well, they don't know yes. they're following the money sometimes. I think some of it is it gives you something that's like it's like the darkness took them, you know, evil took them, the devil got them kind of thing. Yeah. Where you don't have to be responsible and you didn't contribute to what happened in any way because it was some other, you know, that came. Well, and, as and a got parent, them. that's a biggie, you know, like as a mm -hmm. parent, no parent wants to look at themselves in the mirror like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I kind of fucked up somewhere along the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and truthfully, things like the open, what we're dealing with here are all examples not to get all lefty on you guys of late stage capitalism and what you have in Mount Airy, whether it's the supply of Oxycontin. Okay. In the early two thousands or the jobs going away overseas. So companies can make more profits. This is about capitalism grinding people down. Absolutely this is the, devastating. That this is when the, the, when the money game. left. Forget it. Yes. It's about crumbling infrastructure as well. Okay. And that's infrastructure. Isn't just our roads, bridges, and power lines. Infrastructure is how we absorb crises and how we absorb things in our community from the mental health to yeah, so, and we we're, we broke. We can't do that stuff. Okay. As a friend of mine says, we need to come to terms with dystopia and, and by coming to terms with it, we can deal with it because we need to, you know, we're, we're not going to, we don't know overall fix. We have to address each little problem as they come up now. And that's just what, that's just the truth of it. How many years did it take you to put this together? We've been working on this for 
three years. Yeah, I think it's been yeah. Years Jessica now. passed away in 2018. Mm -hmm. She contacted us in 2000. Wendy did in 2019, pretty much on the anniversary of Jessica mm -hmm. Jessica's passing. And then we filmed 2020, the first big batch of actual filming. It took that long to get cameras in there. Wow. And we've been filming some since because mm -hmm. COVID is really we're not going to bring that all into it either. But, you know, these communities that have been suffering from the opioid crisis, COVID hit them even harder than they did some others because of the ice isolation because of the, the 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 restrictions people either died of covid hep c has become a serious thing hepatitis c has gone rampant up there because of the sharing of needles and a lot of this stuff came up and the lack of access to black tar heroin frankly because the mexican border was shut down so then fentanyl was the game because fentanyl doesn't didn't come in that way so they were, it was able to get in the country. So really, you know, this community has continued to suffer the entire time we've been there. But things are starting to change. People are starting to open their eyes and go, hey, we got There's a different way out of this. We got to. Would you say that it's an incremental change or do you think they're really leaping into healing and trying to be better about it? I think it's starting to some the stigma starting to change some probably because of just how widespread it is. And, you know, everybody now knows somebody who's you know, had experienced this in some way, whether it's directly in their family or tangentially through your close friends and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a lot of organizations are starting to pop up and our government systems um, definitely here in North Carolina are starting to become more aware of like what works and what doesn't and trying to, um, to really look at what our options are. You know, I think when, even mm -hmm. when we first started this, um, when talking with the opioid response director for the, the county up there in Surrey County, he's like, basically the county has to decide if this is going to be, you know, a, a, like a crime, you know, kind of issue, or if this is a public health issue, you know, and they're going to have to make a decision about what this is. And then we'll move forward with what our option is as to how we take care of this. And at that point, their decision was absolutely that it was a crime. They were building a bigger jail. It was just literally like, we don't have enough room. Right. And so mm -hmm. we're, we'll just build a bigger jail and that'll fix everything, you know, and they, they didn't even understand what they were, what they were dealing with. And so I think as, as different programs are starting to pop up in, in other places in the nation that are starting to realize, okay, we have to have basically urgent care for someone if they are in crisis that they can come in and get, they don't have to wait a, a day or a week or a month for a bed in a treatment center somewhere. Like we're going to have to have it where they can come in and get immediate access to some services and start getting connected to things. We've got to have space that if people want to go into to some form of recovery or get medical assisted treatment or whatever it is that they're looking for, that there are options available and that it's not that you have to go to a different county or to, to a different place. And so there, there are things that are starting to pop up where people are doing that as they're getting funding. And a lot of people, I think, are hoping that some of the money that has come in that's being, being released from the, the lawsuit against the Sacklers and um, Purdue Pharma will open that up, but there's still a lot of even just like infighting and political stuff that's going on with that as to who's the money going to go to, you know, is it going to go oh, to, yeah. you know, spins, they, they take, you know, $300,000 a year to drive people to treatment, or are we going to open up a facility where, you know, they can get to it themselves, you know, downtown, like, how are we going to approach this? And yeah, is there going to the be, right there's way? rumbling is about a drug court, but on the other hand, you still have people in that region who are willing to help, but they think 
play. So they think that what the people need is spiritual guidance, not not medical guidance, not medical help. Um, you can love all, Jesus and get therapy. Like you can do both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's, you don't have to. It's not one or the other, guys. Right. Yeah, I feel like Jesus would have been down with methadone. I think he would have totally. Yeah, yeah I really do. I, I do. Yeah. And you know, drug courts are important, and and not just drug yeah, courts, drug but court. an entire infrastructure built to where when the person encounters law enforcement or goes into the drug court system. They're not just sent to a jail to dry out. They're sent to a, a, a facility. And then after that, there's more care and not just give you some Suboxone, maybe even put you on the street. You need inpatient care. They need to be taken out of these environments. And addict cannot that's right. Yep. Even on Suboxone or Methadone or some of the, and even with the good therapist, if you're in that world and if the drugs are available to you readily, the, the chance for recidivism is just too high. You have to be isolated. You have to be taken out of those situations and put be able to live somewhere with other people in recovery and active recovery for at least six months. And then you well, can start to see real numbers come back on people recovering. You know. And there's a life skill issue as well on a lot of the younger yes. addicts. And I, and I know that sounds, and for the listener, I'm not being ugly or anything like that. I've just seen it firsthand. You have these kids who get into drugs and then they're addicted to drugs until they die, which could be five months, five years or whatever. But when they try to get clean, they can't hold on a job. They can't do these things. They've never had to do it before because they were so entrenched in this drug culture where if you needed money, you just sold drugs or, yeah. or and the younger you, yeah and the younger you started using the drugs mm -hmm. too. Remember, something, this, yes. we are talking about a disease here that rewires mm -hmm. the brain totally. and one of the things it goes after is the executive functioning first and so executive functioning be the ability to plan ahead the ability and it's to not even developed in a lot of these kids yet. Mm -hmm. exactly well that shows even with stuff you know you see any any kind of drug use before the brain is fully developed is going to cause serious problems later in life and they are they're they're my i had a cousin that was addicted and i can remember an addiction specialist telling my uh uncle and aunt one time he started using drugs at 13. you're dealing with a 13 year old and at this right. point he was like 25 years old that's right so you have to understand a lot of people have to be taught initially have to be retaught things it's just like you had a stroke mm -hmm. so when you were doing this what are some of the production stories um or the behind the scenes stuff that we won't see in the series that you can talk about now like is there anything that really stands out that we haven't already talked about obviously wendy's a badass like <laughs> right off the bat like she's running stuff through great loss you know and i'm sure you she... had some very scary moments yeah i mean there were it's, there interesting. Was... <laughs> I mean, it's interesting like i mean there's besides like singing the, the hospital too. Yeah. So there's this one which, which uh, one which hospital subject we have. We 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 went into the hospital in Elkin and at the okay. time there was a subject that we needed for this story. He's the brother, you see him in the sizzle reel. He's the brother of one of the missing people up there. But he's also a he has extensive criminal background and himself was a drug and a, a fentanyl and meth dealer and all this. And user. And user. So he but he owed money to the cartels and was trying to get out of the game so to speak and had been injured really badly and was at the hospital. And at the hospital, the police are downstairs because they've been interviewing him. So they're watching the door because they think the bad, they know that the bad guys want to kill him. And he's upstairs. He had an infection in his arm. So Carissa and I 
we're we're just <laughs> we pack we go get bags go to the dollar store and we get yeah. like gift bags even got a balloons yeah. yeah got some balloons because you want to look like that so we take a cell phone in with filmic pro on it which is like what steven soderbergh uses to film movies so it looks really good so we can shoot in 4k we take sound equipment in it's in little bags and we sneak all of this in and we're snuck into the hospital as if we're going to visit someone like secret know? agents yeah, we yeah. had to be cleared by a source that we had there who knew who we were and what was going on. And so she was like the charge nurse. So when we came in, the police were like, you know, we had to tell them who we were. And the police were like, well, I have to go get this person who is the person who could decide who could actually go in that room. And you know, then she's like, yeah, it's fine. You can go in there. You know, so we go in and interview him um, because we thought we really thought he was going to run. Like we thought that was probably going to be our only chance to interview him and that he might go into hiding and we wouldn't find him. Um, we didn't know that we were actually going to kind of wind up helping him going into hiding. Yeah. Um, so he, um, he wanted to be involved in what was going on. Yeah. Well, at the time he was doing what he called his own investigation into his sister's oh. disappearance. Yeah. which is the lady you see in the show. We talk about that. You see her mother and her sister in the show and you see him. So he was doing his own investigation, he said, into, into this. So we knew that we needed to, I, I needed to spend hours with this guy. And he was in real danger and had nowhere really to go up there that was safe. Like anywhere he goes, anywhere you go up there, you're you're vulnerable. Like right across the street from Wendy and them are two, three rental houses. One of the houses was rent after all this started, had been empty, but then it got rented out. And they knew that that person was put there to watch their house and see what was going on, see what they were doing because they were talking and they were, they were saying things. So we knew their house was being watched. So that guy, he, he was like one of the, he moved weight. This is the way, the way yeah. that you would say it. He wasn't mm-hmm. like a small time, you know, drug dealer mm-hmm. who just like, I mean, he definitely had his people and he provided to individuals and sold to individuals, but he was someone who knew how things worked. And, you know, he was one of the people that would get sent to pick up large quantities of drugs or to distribute them out to other dealers and things like that. So he knew a lot of people and a lot of the processes and things like that, that would be super useful to us to get background and understand, you know, how things worked or whatever. And at the time was under a grand jury mm-hmm. indictment in Surrey County for dealing. He had been caught with weight. So he, but you know, again, saying he wants to get out of the game. So they can't, he can't stay in Mount Airy and we think he's going to bolt. So we arranged for him to have a place to go that wasn't Mount Airy. And so we got to smuggle him out of there though, because we know people are watching and they're definitely watching him. And he didn't have a car anyway. To yeah. Leave. He, he was really vulnerable. So, you know, we chose the Cracker Barrel I often fun. think lots of clandestine missions are happening at the Cracker Barrel. Yeah, yeah, stuff All those people just pretending in. to play the peg game. Yeah. <laughs> like right under our noses. Things are, yeah, we were doing the little thing. With Dumplings the, the and intrigue. Yeah. 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 Something was afoot at the Cracker Barrel, right? But part, in, in all seriousness, one of the reasons we chose Cracker Barrel, we assumed that tourists to go there so it wouldn't be as many locals. So, because you can just look around and know somebody that knows him or look around and know somebody. Wendy was with us that knows Wendy. So we needed to be somewhere where there weren't locals. Was so that, we took, did that work though? Because everybody loves it, Cracker it, Barrel. It worked like a charm. Yeah. It, oh, it, we went at a weird time of day. Like we made sure like you know like we made it to be where it wasn't yeah that little window that you can catch between late lunch and the old ladies having their I was gonna say 215 you're there too so we spend some time I go outside I go outside smoke a couple cigarettes walk around make sure there's nobody else in the parking lot that's not going in the restaurant we do the whole thing we're kind of on a swivel and then we had a van so the van goes around behind a cracker barrel he gets up wipes his face off goes to the bathroom and he disappeared from Mount Airy North Carolina Oh, good. Thank God. Yeah, we went a totally different direction. 
than where we were going to take him, drove about 50, 60 miles into another direction, took several circuitous ways all the way back to make sure we weren't being followed. Was your heart beating in your throat? Like, how was that part? Yeah, we were cold until we got home. Yeah. Also, it wasn't like we didn't know we were doing that when we went there. Like, we went we went to meet him and we were going to, we were trying to make sure that we'd formed enough of a connection with him. Cause obviously when he was in the hospital, he was, you know, on some pain medications. He was, he'd been kind having, so we knew he knew who we were and we felt like we had a rapport, but we're like, we need to make sure connection before, you know, he goes off so that we can hopefully, you know, have, have, you know, his insight into yeah. stuff. And, things. and now, now you and got then, this guy in the car though, and you can't treat him because we're journalists, right? We're not tough. I'm not some tough guy. This isn't a this isn't a bad movie. It's not like you can turn around going, if you do anything, I'm going to kill you. You know, and if you act out, I'm going to beat you. You can't do stuff like that. You're trying to work a source. You want him to be your best pal. So well, you, you took him to Cracker Barrel. I mean, good yeah, stuff. I know, right? step. Yeah, bonnie pancakes. Yeah. But no, so you can't. And that's not how real journalism is done. That's like garbage on television is done. So you can't act like this. You can't create this tense atmosphere. And actually, he was so vulnerable at the point and so terrified himself that he was he, somewhat was childlike. he very young was he a young person no, no, no he's, no, he's in his 40s okay, yeah, okay. 40 something now um now he's he's motored down he's nowhere near north carolina yeah he's, um he's, oh, good for him and yeah. did end up talking to law enforcement and people like that and gave some information to folks and, and has dealt with some stuff since yeah. but that was that was one of those hairy times where we're going do we write this up as a book can we really do this as a show because how can you ask a crew? You don't want to go up there because here's the thing. Things happen to you in a small town. I'm safer. In There's a, no witnesses. Nobody saw yeah, anything. I'm so much safer in a big city. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that you're taking, I mean, we, it, it was already, we knew that we we're going to have to give crew members trigger warnings and that's not trying to be funny or anything. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about some really traumatic things. No, it's one not. of our, and not to be, I don't want to be like William Castle or anything, the producer, but one of our sound guys literally passed. The stuff got so intense at one point and so kind of gruesome in one of the descriptions of something from one of our subjects that our we turned around, our sound guy just fell out. Gone. Yeah, because it's we're not supposed to do that. Like humans yeah. are not our brains, our spirituality, whatever you want to call it, that is not normal. You yeah. know, and it, it, everything in there fights against it. It's like her with the thermos. Mm-hmm. You know, she may, you know, you may not realize it, but this is not meant to be killing people and, and doing these horrible, horrible, horrible things to humans in the name of a drug addiction. Yep. And it was, you know, our crew, when we were doing things, cause we, we obviously knew the order of stuff. Like I said, we talked, you know, with Wendy and Steven before and had a, a general idea of where things were going. Um, but you know, the crew didn't, we didn't have time to explain all that stuff to them. So when we're filming, you know, you don't film sequentially, like it's not like you sit down yeah. and, and, you know, go through everything. So there were, we had really tight windows that we could film in because we were self-funding this. So like, I, I'm for it. so I'm going, you know, I'm sort of thinking of how much every day costs kind of thing, but, you know, making sure we were like, okay, we have this week, this time we have this week, this time. So when someone came available, you'd have to adjust and say, all right, we have mm-hmm. to go catch them because we can get this right now. And, you know, try to, you, it takes forever to set up lighting and equipment and stuff. So it was, you know, really intense, like times when we were shooting like those 10 days, but our crew one time we came out and 
the guy that was doing our director of photography, he's like, I feel like I'm watching like a Netflix special, but it's like all of the sequences are out of order. He's like, this is crazy stuff that this going on and like the things these families have experienced. And, like, this is just, it's so dramatic and interesting, but it's, I'm so confused. <laughs> well, you gotta understand, we were confused going in because part of the hard part of this process was, and journalism was, was it took five months to be able to make sense of the story. Not that Wendy is a highly intelligent person, okay, but her brain works like mine does. And there's a lot of ADHD going on. And then she's got a lot of trauma on top of that. So yeah. the way her brain works, we literally had to, and not just her, but we literally had to work this story out and then we had to put it in order. And so that sussing out exactly what was going on took five, six months just to figure out what the through line is. Wow. And then there, there were, I mean, this is the thing that will be in the show, but like we had a surprise where I'm sitting and interviewing, um, her daughter Jordan, who is is the, the daughter that's still living, and you're trying to get some background on you know her experience growing up with her sister because you know there are always things, especially if you're a mom, you know you know stuff about your kids, but if they have siblings, they're going to know other things. That you they don't always know, know more. Yeah. Those rats, so, they do. So we were, yeah, we're like we wanted to know you know what it was like growing up with her and stuff like that. And then at one point, um, Jordan says something about she's like, well, when Mama was married to Mickey, and I'm going who the hell is Mickey? Like we never <laughs> talked about somebody named Mickey before. And I was like, um, okay. So I'm saying she's like, but did she mention Dwayne? Yeah. Like, Wait, with Dwayne? And, and I went, and so I'm sitting here trying to be like, watch your face. Like, don't act surprised. You know, like I needed her to be, I didn't, she, I didn't want her thrown off guard. Like, cause then that would make her feel like she said something she wasn't supposed to or whatever. So I was like, um, yeah, just go ahead and tell me about your experience with that. You know? <laughs> and, and trying to be like, cause you know, there were just things. And, and it wasn't that Wendy was trying to keep that from us. Like we she went forgot. Yeah. She's mm -hmm. like, you know, I, she's like, I really didn't think about how that impacted my daughters. And she, it, it was like, it really did. It hit her. She's like, you know, I was married, divorced, married, divorced. She's like, I drug my kids around. And I just like, in mm. her mind, in that, that time and her experience, she was keeping her girls with her. And that was like, even culturally there at the time was like a sign that you were a good mom. Like yes, that's right. Passing yeah. their kids off to somebody else. She'd raised her own, her sister's daughter for huge chunks of time. And so she's like, I thought I was, I was being a good mom because I kept my kids with me. I didn't think about the fact that I was married to different people, that I was engaged in different kinds of jobs, that I was, you know, just kind of all over the place, whatever was there, that's what I was doing. And it never occurred to her that that had negative impact on her daughters and that that instability that they were experiencing, you know, caused them to seek different things. And yeah. for her daughter, Jordan, it's, she really went to wanting everything to be super structured. She wanted to like stay with friends where everything was normal. And, you know, she really sought out being, trying to hide that all that stuff was going on be as normal as she could and for jessica she wanted to be right there with her mom and you know ex experience things like that but then that that set her up for a whole bunch of different kinds of traumas so it's, it's an alcoholics dichotomy yeah mm -hmm. and preparing wow. the crew we had to there are certain things too when you go into doing something like this now we come from i, I my background is I, I attended north carolina school of the arts for film Megan and worked in the film industry for years, but then went back into journalism because journalism has always been a first love. And she and I have been everything from we've worked for magazines to we ran the Camel Sea Dispatch, which was one of the first in America. Those are several now had an online news outlet that we started in 2012 here in Winston-Salem. It's only online news. We never printed. So like yeah, that was the difference. And we started, you know, doing that on the local level, which was only being done in a handful of places, you know. And so we've had a lot of experience, you know, kind of moving through journalism. But our crew that we had are all 
film people. And most of them were film students had just graduated from North Carolina School of the Arts or some of them were still attending. So they were not experienced in journalism. I was so going to say both jumped in both feet on that one. Yeah, and so, yeah, exactly. Oh, we had them at one point there laying down in Wendy's living room because the cops and the ambulances and there's all kinds of crazy stuff. And we're just everybody lay down because cameras are everywhere. And these kids are like, what do we do? What do we? Like now they're going to go work for He's Animal fine. Planet and just film yeah. like butterflies for the rest oh, of their careers. Them, like, yeah, when I've interviewed the Chamber of Commerce guy, they tell he tells me that fib is one of the no, fibs. Well, before, yeah, before that's what we I, went, yeah. I So I prepped them and I told them, I was like, okay, y'all, you, we need to have a little team meeting in here before this guy gets here. I said, um, Chad is going to ask him questions that he knows the answer to. And he's going to sometimes pretend like he's really dumb because he's going to set things up just to see, you know, kind of like, cause a lot of times people will tell you, and that's, that's not like, it's not a secret in interviewing, you know, I, I do corporate interviews and there are times that if I need somebody to really explain something to me very clearly, then I'm going to act like I don't know anything about it because then mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, sweetie, let me help you. You know, I can explain this. Yeah, and so, you get more flies um, with honey and so, everyone likes to feel smart. And I've learned that for years. I've been real good at making other people feel smart. And when they feel smart, they talk. Yeah. Women are bored oh. with that trick. <laughs> so I told them though, I said, look, you're going to have to really watch your face because mm -hmm. this guy's probably going to say things that like, you'll be like, I can't believe he said that, but you can't, if your face shows that, then yeah. he's going to stop, you know? So I was like, we're not going to trick him into saying things. Like we're never like, we're not gotcha journalist people. We don't want to do that at all. It's not, it's not about like trying to, to get you to, you know, to tell your deep, dark secrets that you, that you don't know you're telling, but like, Chad's going to get him to a place where he's comfortable and he's going to talk about things that he might not talk about in the same way. And I was like, if you can't watch your face then you just need to turn around and you just look at the wall and like, you know, make sure you don't mess this up and like say something because I didn't know what he was going to say, yeah. but I just know that's his style. And I was like, we have, you know, I had to, to prepare them well, for that he, as a journalist, one of the few strengths that I have, one of the few things that works for me though, is that people will say things to me they should not say. Right. <laughs> I've literally had a, a, a political candidate's husband. You seem so friendly. That's why. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you seem like you could fix somebody's carburetor if they were your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, Chad, Chad knows how to do that. Yeah. I just look like a wizard. I can't change the world. <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. And I, I was on the phone with this candidate's uh, husband one time, and I'm like, okay. And so she was in a member of a, a sex cult, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, she was. Okay, so he's going along in there. And then I was going to test out some other material on him, but I wasn't probably going to use this because I wouldn't go after your kids, but I'd like to know, you know. So I said, and I'm getting some word out of a local college that your your child is over there selling drugs. And the per and this this guy goes, well, maybe. And I, I said, well, you know what? We're going to, I said, I'm going to end this conversation right now because I, as a responsible person, can't let you keep talking. He said, what are you talking about? I said, no, trust me. I got everything I needed. It's only going to get worse. And I said, well, well maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know what it is, but, but yeah, people talk to him. And well, it's like, I was out with my, one of my good friends I do some journalism with is a Columbia graduate, Columbia school journalist. He's the real thing, man. He's the, he, you know, he's, he's a real jock. And we did a story together, which was kind of a bore, not boring, but it was a story about tax evaluation. So it's all complicated. Numbers. So we're going down to interview uh, uh, lo uh, lower income African-American elderly people about their tax evaluations on the house he's bought. And so I show up, I've been working this one source and he's going with me and we show up for the pre-scheduled interview and the old guy opens the door and he goes, Chad, can you come back in an hour? I just, I just smoked a blunt and it was a big one and i'm just really high right now and i don't think i can talk to you for a minute you mind coming back and joe when they close the door the other journalist turned to me he goes he just told you that there's no excuse 
I said, all black dudes do not care, first yeah, of all. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, he's not he's not worried about me. He knows You're I'm cool. not here to talk about that. I want to talk about his house. So, you know, yeah. I don't care. So, but yeah, just people will say things to me sometimes. And so that that becomes useful just but when you're with a crew and a camera crew. The trick is everyone has to keep a straight face. Yeah, that sounds really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when people are describing trauma that don't realize that they're describing trauma. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that was yeah. that was really hard, especially because um, you know, like I said, we just had the two guys in there um for that stuff and and everybody else was out somewhere not even listening on comms or anything. It's just, you know, trying to make it as safe of a space, you know, as we could for her to be able to talk about that. But it was a lot for them. They're like, you know, I they would hear stuff that she talked to and they're just like, how does she walk around and function? You know? So, so we call that, we, 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 Jenna and I call that scaring the straights because I'm do the mortuary and she does forensics. So like if we are together in public, I'm like, okay, well we have to be mindful of everybody else in the cracker barrel. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're like, we're not weird like that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I know it's just, it's really like she and I had a very detailed conversation this morning about a decedent I got this morning who had, there was a suicide it was very weird i was like hey this is blah 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 and i was like and then i was realizing while we were texting each other i was like i couldn't do this oh yeah like my spin class was about to start that's how yeah you know yeah. that's how yeah. and, we're, and, and we're the mom and dad that have for years been covering crime you know yeah. and crimes that are known in the community so they come up in the house of less we're discussing pazuzu today we're discussing this the magnolia murders you know where the so there's it's one thing after another you know when your mom and dad do this so i can't imagine what it's like from their point of view yeah it's funny you because know. um our our youngest is 15 and he's in a high school that's kind of like a it's, it's called a magnet school so basically yeah. kids from all over the county can come and they have different tracks of different things that they're doing and so he was talking with one of his teachers i think it was his english teacher about something and the teacher brings up a story that was on camel city dispatch and isaac's like oh that's my parents like they did that and he's like no what and he's like no really that was my parents right. and he's like wait the people at like it, it was too what do you he's like yeah it was Brad and my mom and like you know i'm their kid and it was just them and he was like completely freaked out because he I, evidently he thought we were it was a way bigger thing than it was like a lot of people didn't know that it really was basically just the two of us working constantly to you know put everything out but yeah. it just it, it caught him so off guard that he was like oh those are real people and you know they live there and isaac's like yeah, yeah i know all kinds and we of don't stuff live in that darkness i mean just like any other family we're more apt to have a talk about game of thrones or the lord of rings around the table than we are something like this and that's because you know the kids kind of understand too you know this is yeah. this is part of what mom and dad do for a living. I mean, we don't sit around and talk to it about it all the time, although it's close. Like for instance, mm -hmm. when the, the, the Pazuzu Algarod story, you know, or as you say, Josh Weschler, Tommy Welch and Joseph Chandler were the three victims of the people he, he murdered. But the beginning of that story, because we're the first people in on it is literally we're getting ready for bed. We put our, at this point, our kids are in school. So they're all little and we're putting, we're literally tucking people in the bed, you know, singing a little song to Isaac. He's so little at the time, you know, you're my sunshine. And then, come and get ready to go to bed and mom comes out of the office because the office is right off of our bedroom and, and i told him i said um, she's like honey said, you're gonna want to see this you know? I, told him, I said i said you didn't take anything to sleep yet or anything did you and he was like no i was like you need to go make some coffee and he was like why and i just like kind of move over like that so you could see the screen and you know there's this the face there and i was like we're Good gonna tab. have to figure this out and because we knew it wasn't you know like we're like i was like it just instantly our spidey senses went up that that was not mm -hmm. what it was being presented as you know but we started researching it right then and going into stuff and you know digging in 
into that and then trying to figure out who's going to take the kids to school the next morning because we're both just like you know trying to function or they're like mom and dad there's a guy he's just cleaned the entire kitchen is spotless i've never seen that clean the dining room's clean and the dog's been fed and groomed what's up oh that's just the, the meth dealer we brought we, we're going to get him to his place later he's just <laughs> yeah. visiting I mean, he's, he's he's doing this mr belvedere thing it makes him feel good yeah. just let him do his thing he you would know? come over to talk and like we'd sell <laughs> he's got porch, yeah and then he'd be like because he was he wasn't using and so he he ate tons of things that had sugar in them all the time he always had candy and then but then that would just make him like he had to do something and so he'd be like can i organize your garage or like can i go oh, yeah. wash your dishes and like he just wanted to do something to help us like you know do whatever so like so oh, we had like okay, mr belvedere you know? the meth dealer in the house you know for like you know <laughs> coming so over was, dad talks yeah. to him on a porch and he comes in and fixes his dinner yeah so he's like yeah, yeah that's fine what an amazing trade-off to the dog we figured out yeah. hey the dog understands spanish commands we had no idea <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, so you don't this, want a bilingual dog. I'll just tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, too much. That's too. They when yeah. they can outsmart you, that's not okay. Yep. Yep. So uh, during the course of this filming for this for this the Mount Airy project, and you're in the story, you're you're hitting a lot of walls in the beginning, lots of opposition. But as the three years are going on, does that lessen? Do people you you did kind of talk about was it was it a general the community started to warm up? Because I would imagine after a while, your faces became very familiar in town because again yeah. mount airy's small and there's a lot of grandmas that are right you know very nice after you know i'm sure you ran into my family probably um so we tried initially to not be there as much as we could so like the, to, to not actually be in mount airy for those conversations with wendy and steven um so we'd go like i said to another town in surrey county or they might come here to talk or we would you know do stuff on messenger and things and just, you know, started piecing things together. Um, we actually worked with Wendy and started a Google drive where she could mm. um, upload things. Never quite worked that well for her to be able to figure out how to do that from her phone, but she could view things. And, you know, we would send articles back and forth as things popped up of like, you know, what do you backstory do you know on this? And, you know, she was really, as she was processing stuff, trying to give us information to just be like, I don't know if this matters or not, or, you know, we were sounding boards for each other as we tried to work through, you know, what was happening. And eventually things started to calm down a little bit as far as um, it wasn't considered quite so outlandish. I think people started to realize some of the things that she was talking about. She wasn't being chicken little. It wasn't, you know, the sky is falling. It was like, this is real. The sky is falling. You know, but yeah, yeah but right. like, this is yeah. a real thing. And like, look, this person got arrested or this thing happened or whatever. And so people started kind of being like, oh, you know, maybe. Put it this way. When real. we started filming this and literally get cameras there, Wendy and them again, they're at this point, they're not being followed as much. Okay. At this point, the sheriff has come around to at least, okay, I'm just going to have to live with these people. This is just going to happen. Okay. They're going to do their thing. But literally while the filming goes on, you got Wendy and them from one point where they're seen as low class and we, you don't, we don't talk about those people and they're crazy. Literally people told us they're crazy to one of the things I go and film is Wendy at the country, very fancy in Mount Airy local country club, making a speech, you know, to the rotary, that same rotary club about the opioid crisis and about how they're going to start addressing it. And those people were receptive and sat there and listened to her. And that's toward so, the end of this, right? Yes. So there are people listening. I mean, people, people's hearts will change. And mm. unfortunately though, it takes death in your family. Well, there's not anybody in this country right now. There's journalists like Joe Kionez numbers show it. There's very few people in America right now who can't say that they don't either know someone through, through extension or someone in their family has been directly affected by that crisis or has died of an overdose. Mm -hmm. Did they not believe that there was a cartel, the cartel activity there? Like, was that one of the things yeah, that... The 
and I think that some of that, like when you hear, when people hear cartel, they mm-hmm. tend to think of like, you know, you're watching Narcos. Narcos. Stuff. I was just yeah, thinking Narcos. Yep. Exactly. So you're like, oh, that's not here. You know, those, that's not, that's not. There's true a right. Piggly Wiggly in this town. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, this is whatever. But really it's just, that's like, the, it's no different saying like it's the mob or whatever. It's just, it's organized crime. And it's very, it's organized very differently than like what you think of as being, you know, that like there's one person in charge and they're doing all these things. They're all these little like, like bubbles or cells. I don't know how you yeah. think. You have to it, understand but... these cartels don't work like the like mafia, like, like, like Goodfellas or something. There's not a hierarchy in them that work functions in that way. Um, we, that, that helps you put your mind around it, but that's not the way they work. But for um, the regular and... person in Mount Airy where this is a foreign concept and, you know, Jeremy's always done something weird. They're not thinking that Jeremy's in with the, a, a Mexican cartel because well, see, the thing we're is, all doing yeah. narcos in our head. Yeah, well, at the time when Mount Airy goes down economically, and this is in our sizzle as well, though, these carport companies come in and they're primarily owned by Mexican nationals and they have been huge booming businesses up there, but they're, cash businesses they're largely mm-hmm. cash and so oh, yeah. there is some questions about those but even if it wasn't the cartels ma'am before cartels there were the hell's angels and they were the pagans and they were running meth and stuff up there there's drugs coming out of the uh, what they call dixie mafia folks out of ohio okay so it's it, whether it was mexican drug cartels or it's hillbillies from ohio or it's hell's angels from Kernersville, north carolina somebody's gonna do it so no matter who you remove from that equation, the addict is still going to suffer and the addict is still there. They're still right. living these lives. I get so, it. But we're, we're trying yeah. to marry the public image of Andy Griffith. And again, back to the narcos thing. Like well, that you're is- in that, that other Mount Airy, it's like, it's like sandals resort mentality there. There could be something horrible happening yes. just off the resort, but you don't leave right. it. Your church is there. Your grocery store is there. Your gas station's there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Although so- it reaches out and gets you in property crime. Put it this way, the the um, woman who played Mary Lou on 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 uh, the maybe the show, the Andy yes. show, she was the yeah. lady who dated uh, Barney. Remember Knotts? Don Knotts, baby, the greatest. Actually, that guy's. Yeah, so I know. Good. Like he's I awesome. met him before. He's a really sweet guy. And um, but Mary Lou decided I'm gonna. She had gone there for Mayberry days. They paid. They do paid appearances and stuff at those. So she said, I think I'll move to Mount Airy. That's it's lovely there, and it's a place. That it's it is Mayberry. And the first day she was there, she got robbed at gunpoint and <laughs> the home invasion. They robbed Mary Lou. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Yeah. And so that, I mean, I know it's kind of an anecdote, but it's an anecdote that applies across the board and no one is safe from that kind of thing because property crimes are off the charts up there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things being stolen. Yeah. I can, you know, people say, if you go to this, re- you go to this, this strip mall, not really a strip mall where like low big box retail store, don't, you know, park as close as you can to the store, because if not, you can come out your windows busted out. Don't ever leave anything. If you're going to Mount Airy on your seats, that looks remotely valuable. You know, I mean, we were on top of the museum downtown filming and my my director of photography and I were going to film Sunrise and do a time lapse, beautiful shot of Mount Airy. While we're up there, eh, here comes a guy while we're watching down and this is early in the morning. There's nobody moving about. And here comes one guy and he walks over to a public trash can that's right below us. He doesn't know, of course, that we're up there because why would you look up four stories, you know, in Mount Airy? So we're watching him and he goes over and he looks around. And he leaves a Bojangles bag in that. And he walks away and goes down the block and he disappears. About five minutes later, Bo a very drugs. nervous looking. 
kid, the very nervous looking kid starts easing his way towards the same spot in the sidewalk, looking around on the swivel, comes back, walks back a couple times, goes, <coughs> goes beside the trash can, finally gets in the trash can, gets the Bojangles back and goes a different direction, not knowing that we're watching you the whole time. But these things just happen because that was chance, but it happens often enough that we saw it just wow. sitting there. Yeah. So how did you guys come away from this experience? Um, I think we're, we're still in it <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, it, I don't know. It's very surreal. I think once we finally like put a, a real wrap on it, you know, like once it's really done, it'll, it'll take some decompressing and um, thinking about it because you kind of have to, you know, while you're living it, you have to keep focused. And so sometimes you have to just be like, this is a thing and it's not, you can't let yourself get emotional about it, mm -hmm. um, you know, to be able to process it and move through it. Because if you really stop and think about, you know, the people and how they're feeling and take that emotion on, I don't think we'd be able to get through it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's, and even in our own lives, I mean, during the filming of this, we've dealt with one of our sons has overdosed and been in the hospital for a while. Okay, in a in a in a place where we couldn't help him, couldn't have really anything to do with it in the situation that we're in. We we dealt with that during it. I've dealt with things emotionally, honestly, because of and I'm not like a very nostalgic person, but this is where I grew up mm -hmm. for a brief period of time. I lived there just during high school. No, it's magic to me too. And like, it's so, so hard it was, to hear this. Yeah, absolutely. It was like American graffiti. I say that mm -hmm. all the time. I literally was one of those kids in the 80s because I was I graduated in high school in 89, just riding up and down this highway there, 601, where they have all the, the fast food joints and everything. And we were what's called cruise. And we would literally spend our weekends doing nothing but driving up and you go up in the line, you pull into this park parking lot, talk to those people, pull back out in the line and go up, then turn around and come back. And it was literally like that kids out on the street, people talking, you might see some pot every now and then somebody had gotten a hold of some beer, but that was about the worst of it. And it really was like that. And it really felt like that to experience it. But then to go back and to find out that one of the suspects in our story lives near the farm that I had grown up on. And then I found out the farm that we sold is now disintegrated and been destroyed and let them fall. <sighs> and now there's a guy who probably is a serial killer living nearby, certainly killing, you know, victimizing people around there and selling drugs. So the whole thing is just like, you know, in your head starts to get to you and it starts to mess with you're not preconceived notions, but you're actually lived in notions of what right. your life, what was my life like then? See, cause I thought it was, I thought everything was this, what was going on that I didn't know about, Right. you know, <laughs> you know, so what, what did I not see? How was I not paying attention? You know, at this, I, at this point in time, how is Wendy doing? She is, you know, still the thermos. <laughs> you know, so she's yeah. still um, tough. Doesn't get and And part of it is, she um she is working with people who are you know currently using substances to try to help do that as safely as possible to um really i think i think a lot of that motivation for that is and and we've experienced this like when it's your kids there's only so much you can do because you're living that you're you're being traumatized with that you know it's like this loop that you're in and and like i said you know how steven talks about you don't know but how to help them. Like you can't, you know, everything you do is wrong. Nothing works. And so she knows that a lot of these people have gotten themselves into situations now where their family may love them, but they just can't anymore. Like they just can't deal with it. They can't handle it. They can't be stolen from again. They can't be lied to again. They can't have this event ruined again. And so 
you know, no judgment for that family for that, because she knows she was that way, you know, that's that they had their own experiences with that, yeah. but trying to be there for some of these people who, you know, they, they need somebody to believe in them. They need someone to tell them it is possible that you, you know, it's going to be really, really hard, but you can do something different. And her lived experience of having gotten through that, you know, people have, they trust her and they, they understand that she knows what they're talking about and she really can be a peer in supporting people in that. And so, you know, that's, that's also hugely risky for her to be around those people all the time. I mean, she did, you know, she, she could fall back into that herself. You know, there've been other people who have worked with her whose circumstances were different and how they became addicted and stuff, but who've not been able to handle it. Like it's, it's really, really hard. Yeah, it's who, hard to who be fall support. back into addiction or, or mm -hmm. when Wendy too, and she honestly is one of our heroes now. And that's not just saying that because we're doing the show and everything. I'm dead serious. Since we've been doing the show, she suffered more trauma and that another one of her children, she's lost another child and she lost that child to suicide mm -hmm. since we've been doing the show. And that wasn't someone who participated in the show. They didn't want to participate. So they sure. didn't do an interview, but they have since done that and chosen that way. So, you know, when it yet Wendy soldiers on though, she doesn't quit. And, and she's right there, you know, living in it every day. And she's not made of stone by any measure, but it's like, she is taken, you know, she can sense the psychosphere there and she's determined to help heal it. Yeah. And I think wow. that's really kind of where she arrives. Like it's, it's no secret to anybody that knows her now. That's kind of where she, she's gone, but she, she does go on a journey from, you know, wanting of seeing justice as being like getting vengeance or, you know, having some type of like law enforcement involved or something, you know, some big bust. Somebody's got to pay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And going from that to being like, maybe, maybe how we get justice is, you know, we, we take back these people that these drugs are taking. We take back the people that the cartel are stealing and we, you know, give them a chance to have hope and to, to have someone love them and, you know, like, recognize them as a person. And so her, you know, her idea of kind of finding the balance in the universe has changed from needing to have some type of retribution to being, she's just going to be holding the other end of that rope to keep that tension there so that maybe somebody has a chance. Yeah, Cause true justice is a, is a search for it mm -hmm. and longing for community balance, not the right. obvious, not the opposite. It's the idea of justice is to put the community back in the balance. Vengeance can never do that because it's going to tip the imbalance another way. So retribution and violence and more vengeance will never get, never be able to solve these problems. There's already okay. so much punishment in this. Like yeah. they're all punishing themselves, their families, their loved ones. I mean, they're, you know, there, maybe there is a place for the gentle justice that you're kind of talking about. Because no. I feel like the traditional crime story ends with a conviction and this right. is not And then that. it's it. There's That's not it. an yeah. easy, yeah. It does not. Oh, there's, well, there, there are criminal justice consequences for the for the people that were involved in this, but that doesn't solve the problem. That doesn't bring anyone back, and that doesn't save the addict today who just bought fentanyl laced Xanax from somebody that just did that. That won't save their lives. So you know, you ha we have to approach it from a different place. And that doesn't mean let the bad guys get away with whatever they want to do. Yeah. That's not what anyone is saying. But the fact that you're going to gain vengeance or retribution and that's going to solve the problem is another lie that we tell ourselves. Well, and, and Wendy even says like they, your law enforcement is starting to listen to her differently because she, um, 
she started realizing patterns and things that like, if there was a really big drug bust within the next couple of weeks, there were going to be tons of overdoses. And she was like, oh, you know, every time she'd see one, she's like, "Uh Oh, okay. You know, got to get the word out there, get Narcan out there to, you know, try to help people or whatever. Cause there's and, a new drug dealer that yeah. steps forward who may not be as good at it. Yeah. Cause or, remember these people are mixing fentanyl with baby formula and other drugs in those little magic bullet mixers. That's one thing I've heard of. You talk to police officer, you talk to law enforcement, whenever they bust somebody for fentanyl or busting drug dealers these days, they find these little magic bullets everywhere. Really? They're just dropping some fentanyl in with other things and stirring it up and hoping that it blends yeah. through. As Carissa and I were telling the kids this afternoon, never, ever buy a used magic bullet at like Goodwill or anything like that. You know, probably been used to mix fentanyl and you know what i never in a million years would have known that or even thought about it no yeah. hey, like it's really yeah. important that you said that the yeah. more you know yep yeah. and For so real. What, what happens is these the you know and the dealer's not they're not like trying to give somebody like one person a ton of it and somebody else not like that's not their ideal but they don't know what they're doing like yeah they, that's the people ask me that all the time because i yeah. have all these ods and they're like why do drug dealers kill their clientele i'm like they don't know that they're doing it right and my so mom sadly they always know that there'll be someone else just like there's always yeah. going to be another drug dealer there's always going to be another addicted person mm -hmm. and the reason being these drug dealers had a massive amount of help from they most do you want to talk about a drug cartel purdue pharma the biggest drug cartel on the planet mm -hmm. they make what goes on in narcos look like nothing that's mickey mouse compared to what they're able to get away because they don't have to pretend they don't have to they don't have to circumvent law enforcement and they don't have to smuggle things they can just do it right out in the open they're yeah. the worst you know yeah. No, at it's least so once a week, my mother sends me one of those spammy Facebook things about a fentanyl lace dollar bill found in a parking lot. And, right. by, and it's just not, it's just not, it's not. While a great know. metaphor for, you know, the, <laughs> for, but yeah. it's not true. Yeah. yeah. No, but what, but what, what does happen is that sometimes people get a hold of a pill that did have the bulk of the, whatever mm. was dropped in there and they get something that's got way more fentanyl in it than, than even, you know, the person who was trying to mix but it But the up. difference that can kill you is a single grain. Like you mentioned that's it right. earlier at three, that's it's right. a single mic grain that you can't, you or I can't even see with the naked eye is enough to kill you more than, than it's terrifying for death workers. Cause when they come in, you don't know if there's anything on their clothes, you know, we oh, don't wow. Yeah. We don't know anything like we, I mean, obviously we're already using universal precautions, but still, you know, like the way this stuff is, it, it's a transdermal absorption. You don't know. It's yeah. just, it's, it's terrifying. I had a family and I was dealing with the sister. She was the next of kin. Her brother had died obviously. And then she told me, yeah, my dad just died two weeks ago from the same thing. And then I guess four months prior, one of her kids had died too. So it's this generational thing that you're talking. And this is in, um, this was in Guilford County. So it's just this generational thing and it's so freaking prevalent. Mm -hmm. And I, and again, it's so hard because you're entrenched in it. I'm entrenched in it, but I really don't think the layperson gets it until it happens to their mm -hmm. son or their friend's kid or something. Yep. I mean, we hear it. We hear about the opioid crisis. We hear it all the time. We hear that phrase, but it's almost where you don't hear it anymore. Like, yeah, we know, we know it's out there, but until it like, until we have the windy situation and not everybody does what she does. She took this stand, you know, mm -hmm. which was incredibly brave. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how to be part of the solution. Don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Other than don't do drugs. Step do one. Drugs. Right. Thank you, Nancy. When, when he's done some activism, um, there's a nonprofit out there, right? 
Yes. So she's working um, with a, an organization that she kind of started in um, her daughter's memory. Um, it's called Birches. And um, it's from her daughter's favorite poem was a Robert Frost poem, Birches. Um, and so she's she's doing that in her local community. But really, anywhere you live, if you were to, to search, um, you know, you can even look on Facebook for groups, but like Wilkes County has a whole group of people and they're doing everything from helping people get clothes, getting clean needles, getting Narcan, you know, they can come in there and sit and have somebody to talk to. There's recovery programs. You know, these are popping up in communities all over the place. And a lot of times they are kind of grassroots you know, individuals doing things, but they need everything from clothes to hand out to folks that are, you know, just wandering around to money to buy needles um, they, you know, they want to be able to have Narcan available. Um, one kind of cool thing here in Forsyth County is they've, um, the Forsyth um, Regional Opioid Response Team, I, I think it's something like, or substance, anyway, it's called Frost. Um, they worked it out with the detention center to put a vending machine in the, the lobby of the detention center that you can just go and get Narcan for free. And you don't have to interact with anybody or anything. You just go get Narcan and you can have it available. Um, some of these times it's taking three or four doses to get someone revived. And so it's not like you see, you could just give them one thing. Like it's, you know, people are finding it takes a lot. And so even just having some on hand while you're waiting for, you know, an ambulance to come can help. Um, well, it's important to help. Like, yeah, it would be nice to be able to send you in. Please listen to our stories and please watch the show when it comes out in hometown America. It'll be streaming somewhere near you, hopefully soon. <laughs> that but, was my next question. I was like, where yeah, can people working on it? But, but the other thing is, though, and it would be nice for people to send money to Birches and look that up. But I guarantee you that in your community, there's an organization just like this right now made up of addicted currently or formerly addicted people a lot of times. And they're the best organizations because they know how to deal with folks. And they're doing the important work like fentanyl test strips. Uh, Narcan is a, is a vital thing, but also the distribution of safe needles and testing for diseases like hep C and stuff like that. Basic healthcare interactions that we don't think about as people who are in that addicted world, but they don't see doctors unless it's an emergency room. And then it's if they're having an OD and it's not a complete workup. Right. So there are, I guarantee if you take a time in your community, wherever you are listening to this, you will find a harm reduction group in your community. And again, it's called harm reduction. The idea is saving lives. This isn't about punishment. This isn't about identifying the drug users and stuff so we know who they are. This is about getting them as much help as we can. And we're not facilitating their drug use by getting them needles. Guess what? They're going to find a needle and share it anyway. Mm -hmm. so you're not facilitating anything. You're helping someone do something safer that they're going to do anyway. Same thing with fentanyl test strips. It is really, it's a lot safer when a community can bring their drugs. And Wendy does this with people. They trust her enough to literally bring samples of the drug supply. They test it. They're able to send it off anonymously through FedEx through it with an anonymous thing and then check their results as well anonymously. No one ever asked where this sample came from and send their samples in and get them tested for fentanyl so that addicts can see what is in their local drug supply. And these are important things. And that's what I mean about coming to terms and just the truth. Okay. We're just here. This is just happening. And you have to deal with it. Come to terms with a dystopia. That's and the hardest part it. is coming and to just face it. And just yep. be honest because guess what? It is a disease. It's no different than your uncle that got cancer. Okay. This is someone who is sick. And yeah, unfortunately, it's a disease that they're going to have the rest of their lives and it's going to cause them trouble the rest of their lives. And you're going to have to help them and your family the rest of your life if you can get them into recovery in the first place. Guys, this has been amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you guys are usually funnier than this. We have not been funny. 
Oh no, we've been funny. We picked up. Look back and talk about something funnier. We, we, we were. Funnier. We needed to take there a break anyway. Pieces we worked on that we would. Whoa, we yuck it up. Yeah. Oh well, we'll have to That's get you okay. back in here for an all satanic panic episode. Yes, That's yeah, a real, we really to. want to do that. Absolutely, I, I have a whole book collection. Satan, Mike Warnke's a Satan seller all the way through. We can talk about all those great Christian books that taught you to fear fear the devil and rock and roll at the same time. And maggots. We have a great <laughs> yeah, no, because we like because we do panels and stuff. And Jenna has a fantastic thing about the satanic panic and the maggot connection. On the there's decedent. a lot of like very natural things that happen in death that in towns where there aren't a lot of murders uh police will see it and they'll think oh freaks people out yeah that's uh, the devil yeah yeah predation mistaken as mutilation is that what it so you get you're getting warmer close <laughs> yeah. we're saving that for the next episode chad okay, okay. we'll back. hold that we'll hold that that's a teaser chad nance carissa joint say your last name joins joins joiner you joined. Oh, I got it right. Thank you so much for coming. So where can people like they want to know more about this? Where can they see it? What's going on with the show? So right now we've been in talks with a few different streamers. Yeah, it looks um, right at you. Yeah. He was just like, she's <laughs> taking this one. <laughs> um, we, we're in talks with and we, we have um, some producers working with us on, on like where we what, where it's going to wind up. So okay. um, right now, I guess you could follow our production company, um, on social media. So it's Calico Bonnet Productions. Okay. Um, and that will give updates on everything of, you know, where it'll be or it's stuff. If you want to be able to see, um, the sizzle reel and stuff that's posted through there, um, and, and can keep track of stuff. Um, I don't know where it's going to live. So hopefully everybody can put some good thoughts into the universe. It'll be somewhere where it'll really get a lot of exposure. Um, but it's, it's kind of good for it overall that it's not, um, like an original through one particular streaming service, because that will make it be something that potentially could show up in a lot of different outlets. And hopefully, um, you know, be something people can see it on more widespread. Is it all right if we share your sizzle reel on our social media? Please do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we will absolutely. Yeah. Oh guys, thank you. This was a really tough one, but it yeah. was very, thank you so very, much very for talking to us. And thank you for going places that a lot of people are not willing to go. Oh to yeah. Shine some light. And also, even though it was super tough, I just want to say, because this is something that's very close to my family, you, the end of this really did offer a lot of hope, mm -hmm. you know, and that it's a real dark story, but the, there is light, you know, if people can get it together enough to provide the support and the recovery out there versus building bigger jails. Well, no, because we already have all the tools we need and the tools we need are each other. Right. And, and that's cats, if you ask Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> but that's something that's really important to us is that, you know, that's kind of been our, our style or our brand, I guess, as we've been going through things of, we, we know that we don't always have answers to things like we, but we're not going to not talk about it because we haven't figured it out yet because the way we figure it out is talking about it and having, you know, somebody who may have not been exposed to this yet or someone who's been through it and had nobody to listen to them. Maybe they've got an answer for us, you know, maybe there's yeah. something to try. And so, you know, we have to, like you said, the, it's our answers to each other. We have to be willing to talk about this and say, this is our reality. And how do we work together to change people's lives, you know, for the better. Yeah, and Chad's basically my cousins because same, <laughs> same zip code. So, yeah, well, my, my best buddy in high school is named John Slate. So, you know, probably. It, I mean, yeah, there, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so, so much. And thank you so much to the listener for hanging on. This is going to be a two parter. So, just very incredible. Um, I'm just so overwhelmed right now. So just thank you again. And that's all I've got for it. Jenna. Be sure to check out hometown America. 
please. Yeah. And working on it. And if you got time, watch the device show on Hulu. Devil, you know, season one. Yeah. Season one, the devil, you know, on the, yeah, we're not in season two that, you know, season (laughs) one. Only season one, Just people. Season one, that's the good one. And maybe yeah. something else to come to. On <laughs> yeah, that, so, yeah. all right. Yeah, we may come back and visit you again. We may talk about that again. So we oh, we totally do. To we do may be it. doing a little revisit with that story here. So. Yeah, excellent. That'd be amazing. All right, guys, thanks so much. All right, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. This has been another episode of Dead Girls Talking. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We want to hear from you. Send us your burning questions, reactions, and suggestions for future topics. Follow us on Instagram at Dead Girls Talking. Tweet us at Dead Girls Talk. Or send us a good old-fashioned email at deadgirlstalking to you at gmail.com. That's the number two and the letter U. Until next time, keep it spooky.